Now then, let's uh, turn again then to John chapter 13, page 1240, and the foot washing, when Christ washes the disciples' feet. And um, we'll take as our text the question that Jesus asked after he had washed their feet. In verse 12, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Do you know or do you understand what I have done to you? So we're resuming, really, where we left off this morning, studying Christ washing his disciples' feet. You'll remember from the morning that there's a twofold lesson contained in this incident. The first lesson is the plain lesson, and it's a lesson in humility. If Christ, the Lord, the Master, the Lord of glory, is willing to serve his people like this, then how much more we should follow his example and in humility serve one another too. Now, we saw that that kind of humility, that genuine humility of heart, uh, flows from love. Love, of course, will only come from God himself. It's to be found through prayer and dependence upon himself. But when that love is really in your heart, humility will flow from it, and it will reveal itself in genuine service of the Lord's people, a genuine, hearty, and willing service, even to those who are opposed to you. But there's a second lesson in the passage, too, and that's what I want to look at with you tonight, with God's help. It's a lesson on holiness. It's related to the lesson on humility, obviously, but it's distinct. A lesson on holiness. And Christ begins to teach it when he speaks to Peter. You'll notice that as he's washing the disciples' feet, he comes to Peter, and before he can begin, Peter is offended, and he won't have it. He's offended not for his own sake, he's not offended for himself, but for his master's sake. He's jealous of the glory of Christ. He's jealous of Christ's dignity and his majesty. And he just does not accept the idea of the Savior stooping down low to wash his feet. That's why he says at the end of verse 6, Lord, are you washing my feet? The Greek there should be emphasized like this. Are you Washing my feet? Not at all. It's not becoming. This cannot be. Now, to be fair, uh, we understand that. At least I hope we do. I hope you do. In fact, I hope you sympathize with that. I hope that would be your response, too, if the Lord were to wash your feet like that that you would have an idea of his reverence and majesty that would see that somehow being unbecoming. 
It would be even more unbecoming in Peter's mind if he really knew how, how bad his own heart was. Um, just in a few hours' time, he's going to deny that he ever knew Christ. With oaths and curses, three times he'll deny that he knows him. Uh, of course, Jesus knows that. When he's washing his feet, he knows that he's washing the feet of a friend who's going to deny that he knows him at all. I, m I mentioned in the morning that he was willing to wash the feet of Judas, an enemy. He's also willing to wash the feet of a very unreliable friend. Now, I don't know, but there may well be some times when it's easier to show kindness to an enemy than to an unfaithful friend. Uh, Peter, of course, doesn't know that. He's got a, a very high estimate of how he's going to perform in a crisis. But the Lord knows otherwise, but he still washes his feet. So we understand Peter and we sympathize with him. Now, the Lord doesn't say much in response. The Lord acknowledges that there's an inherent difficulty in trying to understand what's happening. So he simply passes it off by saying to Peter, what I'm doing, you don't understand just now, but you will know after this. For the moment, Peter, just accept it. Let it be. Fulfill all righteousness. I am Lord and Master. I choose to wash your feet. I am not fully explaining it, but you'll understand it later. And then our sympathy with Peter uh, pretty much evaporates away. Because Peter, instead of just accepting that, he responds by saying, you shall not wash my feet. Never. It's a double negative, which in the Greek doesn't make a positive. It just makes it a hearty negative. Never. This is not happening. Um, now, it's not so easy to be sympathetic here. What's coming through here is the tendency that Peter showed about a year and a half earlier uh, to try to dictate to the Lord how things should be. You'll remember when that happened. We looked at it recently in connection with the Transfiguration. It was at the precise moment when the Lord began to teach his suffering and death. Now, there were difficulties in that too. That's why the Lord was perhaps a little late introducing it. But Peter objected to it. And he forcibly took Christ aside and said, this shall not be how it is. And the Lord had to rebuke him severely because, after all, Peter had rebuked himself. It's quite a staggering thing to think that Peter rebuked the Lord. So the Lord rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said to him. You are an offense to me. Because you're not savoring the things of God, you're savoring the things of men. Get behind me. Follow me. Get out of my way. Stop trying to dictate my path. Get back into the position of a humble disciple. I am your master, I'm your Lord. It's the same thing coming out here, you see. The Lord has said, you don't understand what I'm doing, but you'll know it after this. But that's not enough for Peter. No, he says Never. The same tendency to try to dictate to God. 
Now, the thing is, I might have suggested this to you. In fact, I think I did when we were looking at the Transfiguration. I think that this tendency in the apostles stayed with them for the final year and a half of our Lord's ministry. I don't think, and I'm just... I'm just of this mind that I don't think they were as close and as open and as teachable during the last part of Christ's ministry as they were during the first because something had come in that they found difficult. Now you may say, well, a year and a half. Are you saying that he might have been a year and a half perhaps out of his place? Are you trying to tell me that you maybe haven't been a year and a half out of your place? Do you not think there might be a quirk in your discipleship that's been there for five years? Yes, there may well be. The Lord has had to wash our own hands and feet very often. There's many a a crooked thing that comes into your path that takes quite a while to straighten. There can be quite quite a glaring defect in your walk that others maybe see. You haven't seen yourself until the Lord shows it to you very severely. Peter thinks he just knows best. He thinks he can dictate what happens. His heart's in the right place. His head's not. Christ's tone changes at this point. It's almost abrupt. It's very severe. If I don't wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. If you don't accept what I'm doing, if you don't give in to it, if you don't allow me right now to wash your feet, no fellowship between me and you. You have no portion in me, no part or lot in this matter. I have nothing with you and you have nothing with me. And how shocking that is. It meant to sound severe at the time. It sounds severe to us now. And when he gets that shock, Peter turns 180 degrees around. If that's the case, then really wash me, Lord. Wash my hands, too. Wash my head. And when he says that, uh, Peter has regained our sympathy as quickly as he lost it. The fact is that These words reveal what's really in his heart. They reveal his love for Christ. Yes, there may be a a sense of self-sufficiency in Peter. He's become very reliant on his own strength as he sees it and as he imagines it to be. And that's a quirk in his spiritual character that the Lord is going to wash off him. But the fact of the matter is that whenever we are really exposed to the heart of Peter, we are exposed to a heart that really loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope it's true of yourself too that if we were to go underneath all the layers, we would find there a heart that beats for God, a heart that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He can't bear the thought of being separated from Christ, you see. You have no part or lot with me. What? No part or lot, no portion, absolute separation. Then, God forbid, wash my hands, wash my head, wash every part of me. It's a bit like Paul himself. Uh, In the letter to the Romans, 
in chapter 9 when he's describing how much he loves his fellow Jews. Jews who don't love him all that much. I want you to notice that and to remember that. Jews who don't love him all that much. Jews who are hounding him and harassing him and persecuting him. I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. I could wish. I don't wish. How could he wish? It's impossible to wish it. You can't wish yourself into an eternal curse. You can't wish yourself or desire yourself into eternal damnation. It's not logical. It's not rational. It's not spiritual. But to convey the strength of his feeling, he says, I could wish that I were accursed myself, separated from Christ, with no part or no portion for my brethren's sake. I could wish it. In other words, I'd go everywhere but there. I'd do anything but that, and I could almost do that itself. That's someone, again, who loves those who don't really love himself, as only a true Christian could do. And surely it's a sign of a real Christian, and a sign that you're a Christian. If you can honestly say tonight that I could not bear to be apart from Christ. If you took Christ off me, you take my life off me. Take me away from my Savior, and you've killed me. You've killed me. If you can say that, then surely you are his, and he is yours. And at this point, the Lord says, There's no need for that, Peter. There's no need for a bath. There's no need for your head and hands. Just your feet. Because, he says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. In other words, the rest of you remains clean. Your feet have become dirty. That's all you need to wash. And you are clean, but not all of you. Now, however much Peter understood at the time about the lesson in humility, I think we can be pretty sure that this lesson on holiness definitely does go straight over his head. And I think when Christ says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this, I think that's a direct reference really to the lesson on holiness. The lesson on humility was not that difficult to take in. Perhaps the extent of it was. Oh, later on, Peter would think, well, when he disrobed himself, when when my Lord, the Lord of glory, disrobed himself to wash my feet, little did I think how deep this humiliation would really go. Little did I understand that it required him to go down to the depths, not just to become in the form and fashion of a man, but to become obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, a cursed death. But when it comes to holiness, it took him a considerable time to understand it. And I think that after the resurrection and after the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, I think this teaching on holiness would become plain to Peter. What is it? What is Christ teaching about holiness? What does he mean about bath and washing? Washing feet or washing hands? What, what is that about? 
Well, I'm quite sure that Christ was referring here to something that Peter knew well from his own life in the Old Testament and the worship of the Old Testament church, but something that he perhaps again didn't understand too well. It's all to do with priesthood. It's to do with serving God. Now, the ministers of God in the Old Testament, when they had to offer sacrifices and so on, were called priests. They're not called that in the New Testament. But Peter himself reminds us in his first letter, after he himself has been filled with the new covenant spirit of God, he reminds us that we are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. All of you, as Christians, you have become the chosen generation, and you have become a royal priesthood. As John tells us too, we have become kings and priests unto God. We serve him directly in a special way. And as Peter thought about priests, he would remember something. They had a bath, and they had an ongoing washing. First of all, the bath. When they first of all became priests, God said to Moses, uh, you must set them apart. That was done partly by blood. There was blood put on their ear, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the toe of their right foot. The uh, ear and the hand and the foot. Um, consecrated to God uh, in their hearing, in their action, in their traveling, entirely. But they were also to be bathed. And that bath with the blood reminds us that they are set apart to God. Just as we are to entirely holy, washed, Regeneration is what we call the new birth, technically, being born again. When you're born again, you are bathed. In fact, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, speaks of the washing of regeneration. New birth, a total wash. Perhaps the best picture of it in the Old Testament is Naaman, who was told to dip seven times in the Jordan River. And when he came out of it, we're told that his flesh was like the flesh of a little child. It's an interesting comparison. Uh, because it's not just true as a comparison. There's actually a spiritual truth being taught there. He's reborn. He's reborn. When Paul tells the Corinthians that some of them had all kinds of immoral and godless behavior. In fact, it's worth reading perhaps what he did say in 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. Uh, he tells us of how Christ has uh, changed their lives. Um, in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, if you're trying to look it up, it's page 1314. 1314. It's 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, or sodomites, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at what he says, and such were some of you. You were all these things. Notice what he says, but you were washed. That's a bath. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. You were sanctified in that washing. You were set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Now, we don't need that to happen more than once. When it happens once, it's done. That's why you are called, as Christians, saints. When Paul writes letters to the saints of God, we're not to think as you have in Roman Catholic theology of people in heaven. Uh, You're to think of people on the earth. You are the sanctified ones. You are the set-apart ones. You are the washed ones, the cleansed ones, the bathed ones, the justified ones. Once for all, we thank God for that. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet and he is completely clean. So the priests were washed once. But then they were required to wash themselves again. Not a bath, but they were required to wash themselves every time they came into the presence of God. That's a reference to the service of God in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Uh, It's too difficult to go into in detail, and it's probably not necessary to go into it in too much detail. But when you came to God as a worshiper under the Old Testament, you came through the priest. And the first port of call was the big bronze altar on which a sin offering was offered. That reminds us that the first step to God is to have our sins forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first obstacle. Then when we clear that obstacle, we are free through our priest to enter into the holy place, into the presence of God, except for one other obstacle. That was a bronze basin. And just before the priests went to minister directly in the fellowship of God in the holy place, they were to wash themselves. They were to wash their hands and to wash their feet. Why? Because God's presence always requires holiness. Who can ascend the hill of God whose hands are clean, whose heart is pure? I mean, do you think you can come in off the street and just worship God and that's just that? You don't think as you take your place, you must make sure that you call upon God and ask for a clean heart, for clean hands. Ask him for the spirit to enable you to worship in sincerity and in truth. Of course we need to do that. We can't just come into the presence of God. We come in as a repentant people, as a people conscious of need, And as a people dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what gives us the grace to lift up our eyes and to call upon the name of the Lord. His presence always requires holiness. Holiness becomes thine house, O Lord. And just as that's true in the act of earthly worship here, 
so it's true in the long term in respect of our journey into the presence of God in heaven. It begins with a bath, and it continues with a constant series of hand and foot washing, sanctification, cleaning, until we make it into God's presence. Why? Because although we never need a bath again, we are constantly coming into defilement in this world. We're in the midst of the unclean. Our feet are walking where they are being defiled. And we need to cleanse them. And the Lord Jesus Christ needs to cleanse them for us. Now, how exactly does this apply to the disciples and to ourselves? Well, let me take a couple of things to illustrate it. First of all, Jesus says to them, you are all clean. Verse 10. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. You're converted. You're Christians. Notice he says, not all of you. He had told them already that one of them was not clean. In fact, he had told them, reason, well, not early on really, but midway through his ministry, he told them that one of them was a devil. So he said, you are not all clean, but you, Peter, are clean. They've been washed. But they've picked up a defilement along the way. We all do. They did. And again, just to, to hammer the point home, let's stay in the passage. What defilement have they picked up along the way? Well, take this ambition and pride and envy. Where did all that come from? I wonder how much of that they had when they were fishermen on the boats. Well, maybe they had a reasonable dose of it. I don't know. It might be more interesting to ask how much of it was in their lives when they first began to follow the Lord. I would guess not much. There would hardly be a squabble. There was so much thankfulness and gratitude of heart that they had gone into the vineyard early, that they had heard the Lord, that John the Baptist had pointed them out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that the Holy Spirit had taught them to recognize him as the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. So glad, so full of joy. John would do anything for Peter. They'd all do anything for Thomas. But something's changed, you see. Something's changed. There's envy. There's ambition. There's arguing. And there's quarreling. Now, I'm not saying that wasn't in their hearts before, but it's an interesting thing, you know, how much of ourselves we discover as we go on. I don't know if you've had the experience as a Christian, but I certainly have of discovering problems in my own heart that I didn't even know were there before I became a Christian. That's sometimes why Christians think they're getting worse. Because they're seeing things. Things are uncovered, by the way. Things are being uncovered, and we're tested by these things, how we respond to them and what we do with them, how we need our feet washed. Or in Peter's particular case, it's very striking that there's a problem with self-reliance, is there not? There's a problem in Peter's life. It's coming to the fore. Jesus says just an hour or so after this, a few hours after this, he says that the devil is going to sift you as wheat. All of you. 
And Peter, he says, looking at him, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Because you're in greater danger than anybody else here, with the exception of Judas Iscariot. You haven't a clue, Peter, the trouble that you're in. How much you're really relying on yourself. Yes, Peter's feet were dirty. Even though he'd had a bath, his feet were dirty. And what does he need? Well, he needs Christ to wash them. With what? Well, what is it that washes us? We're told about the church in Ephesians chapter 5 that Christ washes her. This is in the context of wives and husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Notice. With what? With the washing of water by the word. By the word that he might present her one day to himself a glorious church, spotless, without wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and without blemish. The washing of water by the word. Yes, the word. As we walk on in the Christian life, we begin to be defiled You can sometimes be seriously defiled. There is only one detergent that will avail, and that is the Word of God. Applied to your heart by the Holy Spirit, teaching you confession, teaching you repentance, teaching you spiritual renewal, holding Christ before you upon the cross, holding out a promise and a hope of salvation. As you receive that message through the preaching of the Word, as you receive it through the reading of Scripture, your soul is washed. Your feet are washed, and you're once again made whole and new. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But why the severity of the first part? Why does Christ say at the end of verse 8 that if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You say, well, how can that be so? I mean, if he's bathed, then, you know, is it necessary to have your feet washed? Well, I want you to notice here what Christ says about the priests. He says to them in uh, chapter 30 and verse 21 of Exodus that they shall wash their hands and their feet in the bronze basin, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and feet, he says again, lest they die, and it shall be a statute forever to them. Lest they die. Why? Well, To put it simply, if you don't concern yourself with washing your feet, you have absolutely no grounds for believing that you ever had a bath. 
That's as simply as I can put it. If you're not concerned about cleaning your feet, you have no grounds for believing that you ever had a bath. If you're not pursuing sanctification, you've got no evidence for justification. If you're not interested in being sanctified, you've got no grounds for believing that you're justified. None at all. And it's one of the most dangerous things. I mean, people talk about a wrong Roman Catholic view of justification. Oh, yes, there is a wrong Roman Catholic view of justification. That's true. The Roman Catholic theology does teach that we are justified through a combination of faith and our own sanctification, that that's what justifies us. That is very seriously wrong. But a good number of Protestants, Reformed Protestants, are just as seriously wrong. They have dropped sanctification pretty much altogether from the process. Sanctification has become an option. It's all about faith, 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 and justification. Is it really? If I don't wash you, you have no part with me? Does that indicate that foot washing is an option? Does that indicate that the ongoing walk of cleaning ourselves is an option? No. It means that if you're not interested in it, you're dead. No connection with me. And it's as real and as vibrant as that. I mean, we can go behind it if we want and ask, is Peter definitely the Lord's? Yes, Peter definitely is the Lord's. And we know that Peter is going to come round to having his feet washed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But that doesn't negative what the Lord said, that if you don't expose yourself to my washing, then there is no communion between me and you. That's why holiness matters. It really, really matters. But that's why the Lord does it. Do you know what I have done to you? And we need to answer that question too. Do you know now what Jesus did to Peter? Do you know it? Know what it means? Yes. And that's why we say too, we can really say, please, wash my feet. The wonderful thing is that he does do it. And he does it here for a man who's just going to deny him in a few hours' time. He still does it. You know, it's one thing to show kindness to somebody who let us down in the past. It's another thing, actually, to show kindness to somebody who's just going to let us down in a short while. (laughs) That's tougher still. But what I have done, you do too. How wonderful the Lord is, how gracious the Lord is. I mean, after all, at the end of the day, uh, he doesn't say, wash your feet. He washes them himself. And that's the wonderful thing about sanctification. Yes, we know we have a hand in it, but he does it at the end of the day, that he might wash her with the water of the word. He washes her. He washes you. The pride, the ambition, the self-sufficiency, the arrogance washes it, deals with it. I mean, sometimes, I mean, do you sometimes look at yourself and wonder how God persists with you? I do 
but he does. Why? Because he's a gracious God. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Uh, we saw that in connection with humility. Let's take it to heart in connection with sanctification too. If you know that you need sanctification to get on with the business. As I often say to people, in the business of sanctification, it's, it's not really how far you get that matters. Well, don't misunderstand me. It's that you're trying at all that matters. It's not about being flattened on the canvas six times. It's about getting up again. That's what sanctification is about. The Lord wants us to keep at it. He's keeping at it. Let us keep at it too. So if we know these things, blessed are we if we do them. Let me close by saying very simply that all of us here tonight need a wash. I've no doubt about that. We all need a wash. Some of us need our feet washed. But some of us need a bath. You've never come to God. You've never been set apart and consecrated. You're still lying in that series of sins that Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians. In some of them, in all of them, you're lying in them, dirty, polluted. You need a bath. The wonderful thing is that God will give you just that. He takes you as you are and he'll bathe you. Uh, all you are required to do is to come to the one who washes. And he'll receive you and wash you. And he'll make sure that your feet are being washed until he takes you home. It's a wonderful thing. We are interested in sanctification. Therefore, I know I'm going home. Let us pray. Lord, our God, make us, we pray, a people who want clean hands and a pure heart. We are so aware of our own defilement and of our own shortcomings and how thankful we are too, in our right way, to see these things in the disciples, to see men who are weak and frail, men in constant need of rescue, renewal and revival and how we bless you that having loved your own you loved them to the end and we pray then for that persevering spirit that will endure to the end we bless you for a love that will not let go and will not give up bless to us our lesson on humility and on holiness in our Saviour's name, Amen. Our last uh, singing from God's Word is in Psalm 19 on page 224 in your psalm book. Singing at verse 12, just the last uh, three stanzas of the psalm at the top of the page there.
And the writer of the psalm has just been thinking on the purity of God's word, how powerful that word is to cleanse and to renew and to revive. And then he looks inside and says, Who can his errors understand? O cleanse thou me within from secret faults. The word that exposes them is the word that gets rid of them. Thy servant keep from all presumptuous sins, and do not suffer them to have dominion over me. Then righteous and innocent I from much sin shall be. The words which from my mouth proceed, the thoughts sent from my heart, accept, O Lord, for thou my strength and my redeemer art. These last three stanzas, let's stand and sing them. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.